0: We exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own.
1: We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together.
0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, so glad that you are here, whether you're in the house, in the sanctuary, down at Treeworth, the bridge, or you are online. Uh, we are so grateful you joined us in worship this morning. Uh, we, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. You find that on your phone. You can find that in your Bible. We're going to camp out there in just a moment, kind of get situated Uh, get your notes ready if you're of that ilk and we'll be at Luke 18 in a moment Uh, I want to especially say those that are here in the house for the very first time I I would love to connect with you out in the crossing after worship Uh, if you're new here or you've been gone for a while because of COVID and you're kind of getting reconnected or you're just kind of checking out a place to worship well we would love to kind of get to know you better so when things kind of clear out we'll be out in the crossing Uh, I'd love just to say hello and exchange a greeting and get to know you Um, And hopefully this morning you get to know us a little bit better just by what we're doing here in our message. Because we are in a series, second week we're calling One More. And what we're doing is we are looking at the kind of people that God is calling us to be. We're looking at the kind of lives that God has called us to live. And really what we're doing here is that we are looking at this little thing that, that God created through his son Jesus that had never existed before until Jesus and it was a community, we call it the church. So we're really trying to learn, really what does it mean to be a part of the church and why does the church exist and who is it? And what we learned last week, first thing in your notes, if you're taking notes, is that the church is a place where everybody is welcome. According to God's plan, God's desire, and it's, that it's where every single person is welcome. Uh, from every culture, from every ethnicity, every skin color, everything, wherever you've been in life, whether you believe in God or don't? or don't believe in God, you are welcome in God's church. And we looked at last week that in God's church, there's no us in them. It's just Jesus and us. It's just Jesus and all of us. That there is no us and them. And last weekend, we learned that there was this guy named Matthew. And Matthew was the lowest of the lows. I mean, everybody thought that he was the lowest of the lowest human beings on the face of the earth. And Jesus comes along and he sees him. And we learned a very important lesson in that moment, that you never know when one person is one ask away. Everybody thought he was a million miles away. He would have no interest in God or relationship with Jesus. And Jesus comes along and just simply says these words. Hey, Matthew, come follow me. Just throw it. I'll just just throw it out there. Matthew says man yeah okay that's a great idea and he leaves everything and he's connected to God through a relationship with Jesus. Church please 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 you don't make the decision for somebody else and how far away they are from God. Most people are just one ask away one invitation away from their whole life their whole future being changed and being transformed and then we learned last week that that matthew after he got connected to god through this relationship with jesus he had this idea He said you know what i got this cool house and i got all this stuff i could throw a party <laughs> and i can invite all my friends who have no interest in god at all i can have this over the party and i could also invite jesus and if they got connected And we want all of our worship times in the house, online, wherever you are, at the bridge, in the sanctuary. We want every home that's represented here who calls Pathway Home. We want every life to be a Matthew party. That you just be a place where your life and your home is welcome to anybody who has a curiosity or interest in being connected to the one who can totally love them just the way they are and change their life. Because everybody is welcome because God loves Everybody. Now, this weekend, we're kind of changing gears a little bit. We're learning something else about the church, is that letter B is nobody is perfect. That the church is a place where everybody is welcome but nobody is perfect. And there's a little bit of a sting to this. And the sting is that each of us, I, many of us, maybe come aware for the really first time, <laughs> I'm really not perfect. If it hasn't happened to you yet, there will come a time in your life where you realize that you don't measure up to the expected standard. And maybe you don't even measure up to the expected standard. You don't even measure up to the minimum standard. That will happen to all of us. It happened to me many times in my life. One time it happened to me when my wife and I have been married for a year. And her extended family is going to take a snow skiing. I had never skied before in my life, ever. Never even seen a slope with snow on it like that. So we all show up there, and most of them knew how to ski, except Dallas and myself. She knew a little bit, but I knew absolutely nothing. Start off on the bunny slope. And I will tell you, after about three, four hours on the bunny slope, I thought, this skiing's not so hard. I think I can just go to the top. And so off I went. And some of you know there's different kind of lifts. And there was a T-bar there in Rio Dosa. There's a T-bar to go up the mountain in Rio Rio Dosa. At least there was then. And so I grab hold of the T-bar, and it's pulling you up. And about three-quarters of the way up, I fall down. It makes a big old mess for everything. That should have been a sign. I ignored it and just kept on going get to the top of the slope, you have to kind of make some miles, it felt like miles, to get to over where there's a, a run where you can go down, and if you've ever been skiing before, you know, they kind of identify the difficulty of the slopes with colors. You have green, which is the easiest, and there's blue, a little more difficulty, and then there's a black. So they take me to this slope, and I will tell you, it wasn't green, and it wasn't blue, and it wasn't black. It was a double black diamond with a skull and crossbones right there before you go down. And that should have been a sign, but I ignored it. And so I pointed my skis right down that, and boy, it didn't take me long to figure out that I was in trouble. And so my only strategy was to snowplow. I mean, snowplow all the way down. And I would go about 15 feet and I would fall down because I was just trying not to die. I'm just telling I just don't want to die. And I thought, this is terrible. And I was creating this pile up, and people would bump into me and fall down and mess. And not only was my life all about to be ended, I was ruining some other people's lives. And they were cussing me out and yelling, what is he doing here? That ninka people. Finally, I got all the way down. I was exhausted. But I was just relieved. Now, what if, what if, what if, as inept as I was, I thought, you know what? I just accomplished. and I started giving lessons and tips to everybody who just came down the double black. How smart would that be? Not very smart. <laughs> See, as a general rule, most of us know when we're not very good at something. As a general rule. Such as, this, this summer, I told you I took a little gymnastics course, a two-day course uh, for CrossFit. I will not be trying out for the Olympics, I know. I know how bad I am. I, I do yoga three or four times a week. I have found that to be very healthy. I, I'm, I'm making progress. You will never find me in one of those Gumby yoga classes, ever. I know my limitations. It would be ugly, ugly, bad. Most of the time, as a general rule, we know how bad we are, but... Sober reality, but in your notes, letter A, number two. There's a place in my life, I have at least one area in my life, where I am suboptimal, but I don't know it. This is true of everybody. This is a general rule of humanity. That there's some area in your life, in my life, where I am Deceived and I think I'm better than I am, and I think I'm stronger than I am, and I think I can handle it and manage it, I have the power to take care of this, and we're lying to ourselves. Now, not only that, this is true of everybody right here, and Jesus is going to kind of help us deal with this issue. It's a very painful issue, and this is true of you, whether or not you believe in God or you don't believe in God. You're a spiritual person or you're a not-spiritual person. Letter B, I look down on other people and feel superior to them. This is true of every human being at some place in your life. There is an area and a moment in your life, especially people who say they're followers of Jesus, where you come to a point where you actually kind of look down upon someone like you're higher and they lower because you're this. It's a chronic human problem. And Jesus knows it. He's very aware of it. This morning, Jesus wants to perform spiritual surgery on some of us. On a little area in our life that we've not fully dealt with, and he does it through a story. Luke chapter 18. We're going to walk through it verse by verse. Verse nine: To some who were confident of their own righteousness, and they looked down on everybody else, Jesus told them a story. Now there are a couple of things we hear. We know about the audience that Jesus is talking to. We know they think they're pretty good. Their stuff doesn't stink. They think they kind of got every area of their life together. They think they're pretty good. Jesus is about to tell them a story to make them aware they're not quite as great as they think they are. They're deceiving themselves. They're lying to themselves. And I promise you, in this little talk, when Jesus gets finished with this little talk nobody's going to come up to him and say, hey, Jesus, that was a cool talk. I feel really good. I feel so much better. Hey, could you show me where I can find the podcast of that so I can listen to this again on the way home? It's not going to be one of these touchy, feel-good kind of talks. It's going to be edgy. And so he tells them a story. Hey, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee. And you're the tax collector. Now, the audience who's listening to that story, they automatically know who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. They know who the hero is going to be. The hero is going to be the Pharisee. And the bad guy, well, that's going to be the tax collector, that low life, no good cheater of all the who collaborated with Rome to cheat and peer his own people to pad his own pocketbook. They all know that's how the story is going to go. And then Jesus throws a kink in it. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. This little verse right here is chock so much full of information. And the audience would get it. Let me kind of break it down for you. First of all, it says the Pharisee stood by himself. In Jesus' day, there's a very hard lesson taught in the Old Testament That if you were a devout follower of God, if you were devout in your faith, you had to be ritually clean. That means you had to separate yourself from people who were unclean. You couldn't be around them. If you touched someone that was unclean, like a leper, if you touched a woman during her menstrual cycle, if you touched a Gentile, you touched a prostitute, you were considered richly unclean. You couldn't come into worship. So, what he does, he distanced himself from everybody else, it says, to prove he is devoted to God and he is pure, he is clean. And not only does he does it physically, he does it spiritually. He does it mentally, emotionally, personally. Because what does he say? Oh, God, I distance myself, and I thank you, God. I thank you. I'm not like those people over there, the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, even especially that tax collector guy. So he's thinking he's pretty good. And how does he know how he's good? What's he measuring to measure whether or not he's good or not? Well, Jesus tells him, verse 12, I fast twice a week. Just stop right there. In the Jewish faith, you're only required to fast one time a year. Day of atonement. He's fasting twice a week. That's 104 times a year. That's 103 times more for extra credit. He thought he was really, really good. And then he says, I tithe. I give a tenth of all that I get. Now, tithing in the Old Testament was really a, really a big deal, but it was a complicated deal. It was really complicated. And it was complicated because the question was always asked of a rabbi. Hey, rabbi, do I have to tithe off that herb or after that mint since the farmer brought it and he's already tithed on it himself? Do I have to tithe on somebody else's tithe? It's kind of like, Pastor, do I tithe off the gross or the gnat? Back then, they had all these, these complicated deductions like our tax code. You know how our tax code is so complicated? You get all these deductions to get it down to the minimum amount you have to pay. That's the way it was there. They're tithing. But this, tax, this Pharisee is saying, you know what? I'd be very proud for my tithe returns to be published for everybody to see. Because I'm a straight-across-the-board tither no deductions, I just tithe off the highest amount, I want everybody to know it, very proud and everybody's going, wow, 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 yeah, we know this guy. he sets the standard way up here, we can never measure up to that that's the Pharisee that's the hero, that's the good guy, right then here comes the low life the cheat, the stealer you know, the kind of the moral failure the tax collector verse 13 he also stood at a distance. Interesting. He stands at a distance too, but he doesn't stand at a distance from everybody else because he thinks he's better than anybody else. He knows he doesn't even deserve to be in the temple. In fact, why is he even in the temple? Why is he praying in the temple? Why is he all praying by himself? Why did he come when so people could see him? Because everybody knows this guy has no business being in church. That's why he does it. And then it says, look what he does next. Then it says, he would not even look up to heaven. You ever notice this about people, especially your kids, but anybody, that when you eye hurt somebody, if you lie to somebody, if you betray somebody, you don't want to look them in the eye. There's something in the inside, a guilt, a shame, a something where you don't want to look them in the eye because you just feel that you just kind of turn your head away. I remember when our oldest was in the first grade, Justin, he came home from school, and he just went straight to his room. Didn't come in and say hello, just kind of went straight to his room. I thought he's going to come out. He didn't come out. I walked into the room. He's standing right in the middle of the room with his head down just like this. I said, Justin, what's wrong? He just wouldn't look at me, Daddy. He just wouldn't look at me. Daddy, what's wrong? Just tell me what's wrong. He just kept looking down, and he reached around his dresser and pulled out this paper, this little kin, this first-grade paper with all these red marks on it where he had done terrible in school, and he just couldn't look me in the eye, just looking down like that. So ashamed. Dogs do that too, you know. Good dogs, you know. Uh, J- Justin right now, he's married. Uh, we, have, we have five grand dogs, uh, Justin and Laura. They have two dogs. One of them right here is Audrey. Audrey is a Labrador retriever. And that door, oh, she is such a good dog. She would have looked you in the eye. And when she loves you, you I, I, love, uh, Audrey would go, yeah, I love you too. And she's thumping her. She's thumping, thumping, thumping. Oh, yeah, yeah, I love you. Love, 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 back, back and forth. Until she does something wrong. And then you go, bad dog, Audrey, bad dog. She just has her head down, just tucks it down. She won't look at you. You can get her little face and pop it up and look you right in the eye. And Audrey, she just looks down because she knows she's done wrong. Won't even look you in the eye. Cats, though, will never look you in (laughs) the eye. Ever. Because you're thinking about how they're going to kill you. Just let you know that. But this guy, he wouldn't even look God in the eye. God I, I, God, I cannot even look you in the eye. And Then it says, he beat his breast, the scripture says. Now, you need to understand this. In the Bible, someone who beats their breast, it is a deep expression of sorrow, internal anguish, something on the inside of them where they're just going, ah, Sorrow, embarrassment, shame, anger, you name it, some deep emotion. And in this culture, men did not do that because they were too proud, but women did, but not men. And you got a guy doing it, and there's only one other time in the Bible where it talks about someone beat their breast. It's in Luke chapter 23, when the Son of God is placed on the cross, and it gets so dark because of the his death, and people just went, oh. that's what he does. And then he says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And then the story takes a twist that blows everybody's mind. Then Jesus says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, the cheat, the lowlife, the thief, the liar, the collaborator with Rome, rather than the Pharisee, the good guy, the right thinker, the do-gooder who's in church every weekend, he went home justified before God, connected to God, real with God. He is justified. And everybody went, And then the next thing that Jesus says identifies the posture of somebody that God can do something with and somebody God can't or won't do something with. Look at the final verse. Look at what he says. For all of those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, when the story started, everybody thought, hey, we know who the good person is. We all know who the bad person is when the story started. They all knew. They were wrong. And most of us here in the room, we kind of pride ourselves. We can kind of tell. Oh, I can tell that's a good person. Oh, I can tell that's a bad person. And you, kind of, you can kind of tell. i got to keep my distance from them. Yeah, they could be. And we kind of exonerate ourselves while we're making these decisions about others. So let's do a little righteousness audit on this story right here. Let's see what you think. If we were to ask this question, a little audit here, who you think was the good guy, who you think was the bad guy, based on their merit, on how they measure the religious people, the church people measured people. Who do you think read their Bible most often, the Pharisee or the tax collector? Pharisee. Who do you think prayed most regularly, the Pharisee or the tax collector? Pharisee. Who do you think knew good doctrine better, the Pharisee or the tax collector? Pharisee. Who do you think was in worship the most regular, week, 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 week? <laughs> Pharisee or the tax collector? Pharisee. Who do you think, if you were to ask them, hey, which one of you guys think that you love God and love your neighbors yourself more than anybody? How many of you think you really do? Who would say, yeah, that's me. I do that. The Pharisee. Which one of you think were more aware of their desperate need for God? Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, I need you. I need you. I need you, God. Here I here I stand before you, God. I am so sorry. I cannot even look at you, God. I am aware of the imperfections within me. That one little place, God. I need you. Jesus is creating this community. It's called the church. Where everybody is welcome. But nobody is perfect. And there comes this little moment, he says, and he calls this moment, somebody comes aware of that, but there's a certain area in their life, and they make this public confession. They say, Oh, God, I need you, I need you, I need you. God, right here, particularly in this little spot right here, I need you to handle this. He calls that in the Bible humility. Humility. And let's say something here about a humble—let's use a term that we use in our, in our modern-day world that I think most of us can understand in your notes. Just kind of go there, number three. Humble people in a healthy community called the church, they keep it real. They just keep it real. No pretending. No faking it till you make it. Just keep it real. I, I want to keep it real for a second, and I'll do it for me, not you. Because I can't speak for you, all I can do is speak for me. That apart from God, my mind can go places that my mind doesn't need to go. Apart from God, I can think about things that this mind right here should not be wrestling with and be seeing pictures in it. My mind can go there. Apart from God, my mouth, in a tough situation, it can react and something can come out of my mouth, and I'm gonna go, ah. Apart from God, I can behave in ways that are embarrassing to people. I can be selfish. I can be self-focused. I can be only thinking about take care of me, take care of me, take care of me. Can we keep it real this morning? And Jesus is saying, hey, I, I, I'm creating this whole community. It's called the church. And everybody's welcome. Everybody, everybody, everybody's welcome. There's neither slave nor free. Junior or Greek, male or female, everybody's welcome in my church, and nobody's perfect. But God is perfect. And so everybody's welcome, and nobody's perfect. It's not okay to blow it off. It's not okay to just kind of be indifferent. It's not okay to have this little stuff in my life and laugh it off and blow it off and just think it's going to go away I want you to keep it real. And the second thing that we do when we keep it real, be honest about that, is we come and we stand before God, number B, letter B, and I say out loud, I need you god because when people come into a place like this called the church the body of christ where you are loved and you are safe and you say god i'm going to keep it real i need you i can't even look at you god i gotta put my head down god this is me there's a power that happens that releases people there's a power that i cannot explain it just sets you free Number four, healing comes when I am known. Sickness remains when I hide. That's just a fact. You don't have to believe that. It's just true. You and I live in a world that wants us all behind. We've got to put up a front. i got my act together. Everything's okay. I'm good. And you kind of act that You come marching in the church like right that, and you sit around all these other church people. I got it. That's what the world does. The world celebrates winners. You want to be a winner. If you want to be welcomed by the world and be a winner, well, you got to be as wealthy as Warren Buffett. you got to be as smart as Albert Einstein. you got to be as strong as Arnold Schwarzenegger. you got to be as sexy as Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. And Jesus says, I'm creating a community Well, you can be as strong as Warren Buffett and you can barely be as smart as Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) And you don't have to look like Matthew McConaughey at all. And you're welcome in my church because nobody is perfect. Years ago, there was a civic leader around here, a very well-known leader in Burleson, started coming to worship here. They were a member of another church. I said, dude, why, why, why are you coming here now? Tell, tell, tell me. You're welcome here, but why are you coming here now? He said, well, you know, Pathway Church now, it has the reputation of being the successful church for successful people. I said, dude, you're in the wrong church. Because this is not a successful church for successful people. This is the church for the moral failures, for the misfits, for the mess-ups, for the screw-ups, for the people who struggle just to hold their marriage together and be a good parent and to manage their money well and just be a decent person in the world. This is the church that God is creating. And you're welcome here if you understand that. See, the central theme the central thing that holds this whole thing together called the church that God has created here in this book called the Bible is keeping it real and being honest because healing comes. When I'm, in your notes number five, let's go ahead and say this, when I'm fully known and I'm fully loved. It's only when I'm fully known and fully loved Uh, that I experienced the fullness of God's healing. And here's here's the beautiful thing. At the foot of the cross, everybody is fully known. God knows. And you're fully loved. Can I tell you, I've told you this before, I love recovery people. People that are in recovery are some of my most favorite people in the whole world. Because they go to recovery group, let's just say AA, and they have the guts to stand up from a bunch of people where they're loved and where it's safe, and they say, my name is Rick, and I'm an alcoholic. My name is Rick, I'm a workaholic. And everybody says, hi, Rick. You're welcome here. We're all the same. We're all flawed. We're all imperfect. Welcome. We celebrate you. They don't celebrate the alcoholism. Abuse of alcoholism can destroy families. Here's what they're celebrating. Here's someone who's probably been in living hell for years, if not decades. I mean living hell. And one moment, they just stop in humility and say, man, I need help. I can't fix this by myself. And a bunch of folks say, yeah, me too. I got an issue too. Come on in. We love you. Common ground, we're all the same. Brene Brown did a little video talking about the difference between empathy and sympathy. Sympathy is when I look down upon someone and kind of feel superior to them Empathy is when we have a common ground where you really connect with the person. I thought it was wonderful to do it. We're going to let you see it. It's about three minutes long. Check it out.
1: So what is empathy, and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant, and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. (laughs) Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, I'm down. I know what it's like down here and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh uh-huh. Uh, no. You want a sandwich? Um, Empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So, I had a miscarriage. At least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection.
0: So Matthew's in the pit. The tax collector's in the pit. There's some self-righteous people looking down, feeling superior over. Yeah. Jesus lowers himself into the pit, gets down on his level, and says, I feel your pain. And Jesus creating a community called the church that where people are invited from all walks of life to come to keep it real and to admit that place in your life and when you're safe and people love you and they come alongside of you and go yeah I'm with you and they connect healing begins to happen you begin to be changed and transformed that's the church. That's the body of Christ. That's Jesus. And people back here in the Bible, they just fell so much in love with Jesus. They just would follow Jesus because he loved them so much. It just blew their mind away. They couldn't even write words about him to kind of describe him. They said, you know what? In he, Hebrews, they said, we, we don't have a high priest, Jesus, who's unable to empathize. With our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just like us, yet he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may have mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Can someone tell me, what is our time of need? What time is it right now? When is it not our time of need always always there's a little book here that we read to our boys growing up called the velveteen rabbit some of you may have have read it it's a book about uh, a little boy who had a toy called a uh, velveteen rabbit and the velveteen rabbit was not extravagant it was not expensive at all but the velveteen rabbit heard from another toy that you could become real but they could really keep it real themselves from another, from another animal. And this is what the other animal said. The skin horse had lived longer in the nursery than any of the others. He was so old that his brown coat was bald in patches and it showed the seams underneath. And most of the hairs in his tail had been pulled out to string bead necklaces. He was wise, for he had seen a long succession of mechanical toys arrive to boast and swagger and by and by break their mainsprings and pass away. And he knew they were only toys. And they would never turn into anything else. They would never be real. So the little rabbit asked the horse, what is real? Does it mean having things that buzz inside of you and stick out handle? And the horse says, real isn't how you're made. It's a something that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? Sometimes. When you are real, You don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once or bit by bit? Well, the skin horse says it doesn't happen all at once. You become. It takes time. That's why it doesn't often happen to people who break easily, who have sharp edges, who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off. Your eyes drop out. You get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all. Because once you are real, you can't be ugly except the people who don't understand. And Jesus created a community where people can be real and be loved. But there were some folks who didn't understand. But if you understand, those who did, it changed everything and it still happens 30 years ago there was a woman who stumbled into this church she didn't go here she just stumbled in here and she was desperate her life was messed up and she just said I need to talk to a pastor I need to talk to a pastor I said, okay 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 what's wrong and she said I, just say, I need to talk to a pastor you need to tell me where I'm going to get an abortion just tell me where can I go where can I go well tell, okay I said, tell what, what's, what's going on start telling her story just talk about her story and boy was it a story we talked also about God's love and about a community of faith where everybody's welcome and nobody's perfect and she learned that story of Jesus and eventually she got baptized she chose to have that baby she began to grow in faith she started praying the guy who dumped her when he found out she was pregnant he came to meet Jesus he got baptized He comes back, calls her up, finds her. They get married. Have two more kids. Now they got three. This summer, I had my granddaughter with me, Lennox. We're out in the community out and about doing a deal. And this guy said, hey, Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick. I said, yeah. And I didn't recognize the guy. It had been 30 years. Reconnected. They'd moved away, been long gone, and seen him in ages. I introduced my little granddaughter, Lennox. He introduced his little granddaughter, who was the firstborn of his firstborn, who was almost not born. And God took a mess, a painful mess, and created a beautiful, God still does that sort of stuff. Church, the people who come into his church and say, I just need help. So this story gets kind of dark at the end. The little boy, scarlet fever, is going to die. The little velveteen rabbit, he just loves the little boy, just loves him, just won't stop loving, just loves the boy, loves the boy, loves the little boy back to health and can't believe it. And the doctor comes in. Just can't believe the little boy's alive and the, says, sees a little belting rabbit over here. Hey, that little rabbit over there, that's nothing now but, scar, but scarlet fever germs. you got to fold that thing away. And the rabbit got very sad. And he said, huh, is this what happens to you oh, when, when you when, oh, Let me get to the right place? Uh, what, what means does it to be loved and to be cared about and to get real if you're just going to be thrown away in the end? What good is it to do that? And then this higher power shows up, and it says, this is not the end. You're not going to be thrown away, and you are going to become real. And the rabbit says, wasn't I real before? And he says, you were real to the boy because he loved you. But now you shall be real to everyone. And there was a man whose name was Jesus. And he left heaven, and he came to earth. And he was a teacher who taught like nobody had ever taught. He lived like nobody had ever lived. And he loved like nobody had ever loved. He loved everybody. He loved the prostitutes. He loved the lepers. He held them. He hugged them. If you were COVID, he would hold you too. He loved the prostitutes. He loved the Gentiles, the hated Roman centurions. He got in the dirt and he played around and wrestled with kids with sores and stuff all over their body. He even loved those dreaded tax collectors that everybody else hated. And other people, the self-righteous, the church people, the holy roller people, they looked down on him. They felt superior to him and they hated him. And they blasted on social media. Hey, this guy, this guy, he eats with tax collectors and sinners. We got to get rid of him. It didn't bother him at all. He just kept on doing what he was going to do. They said, we got to kill him. They put him on a cross. They let him hang there until he died. They took him down. They put him in a tomb. They rolled a stone, put a soldier out for us so nobody could steal the body. And the disciples were devastated. They were just crushed. So what good is it to give your life to someone? To follow them and to love them and then to love you back and to become real and become real and for it to end like this. And then the father shows up. And he pushes the stone away, and he reaches in, and he takes his son, and he raises him up back to life, and he says, my son is real. My son is real, and he is more alive than he ever has been before because he is the velveteen rabbi. And if you ask him, he can make you real too. And you can be more alive than you ever have been before in your life. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to put away your stuff, but stay engaged. I want you to stay engaged because we're about to end in a way that we don't end around here very often. Is that we're going to have a time of prayer. And you're going to be invited if you're so inclined. Same way in the sanctuary, same way in True Worth, wherever you are at home. You can do this in your home, okay? You can do this in your home. I'm going to invite you here in a moment if you're so inclined to come up here and to get real. We're going to keep it real. Just come up here and just stand. Just stand and pray. And this is not a general time of prayer. This is not a prayer for your Aunt Susie who has a cat that's ill. This is not a prayer for somebody at work. This is the prayer for anyone who has a sin issue where they're struggling with in their life that they just can't overcome by their own power. It's something that has a hold of them that you cannot overcome yourself. Whether you're online, you're true worth, you're at the bridge, it's just someone who's going to be willing to keep it real about some area in your life. I don't understand this. We've been doing it all weekend long in our services. In a place where it's safe, in a place where people are loved, and you know you're going to be loved, there's a freedom that comes. When you just come and stand at the foot of the cross, common ground where we're all known, fully known and fully loved, and say, God, I need you. I need your grace. I need your power. I need your presence. And you just kind of name it. So that's what we're about to do. I am tired. I am tired of recovery groups being the only place where people experience healing. God gave the power of the Holy Spirit to the church, the power to forgive, the power to heal, the power to set free, the power to release people from that which binds them up. And today, we're reclaiming that power. So I'm going to invite you in a moment, whenever you're ready, every time, you just come up here and stand, okay? And when that happens, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to celebrate. I want you to clap when you see somebody. You can come by yourself. You can come with someone and just stand. This has been happening all week long. It's been amazing what God has done this weekend. And so I'm going to start giving the invite. And whenever you feel so inclined, I'm just going to invite you to come up here and stand. Okay? In fact, I'm going to have everybody just just go ahead and stand where you are. Just go ahead and stand where you are right now. So here we go. Maybe, maybe you're someone that you are an alcoholic. Maybe you have an addiction issue. Maybe you've been to your small group. Maybe you've been to AA and you've said, I'm an alcoholic. I need release. I need the daily power of God's grace. you never said before in your church, you're going to come up here and you're just going to stand. You're not going to say it out loud. You're just going to come up here and stand. As an active symbol, God, I need you. I need your grace. I need your strength. I need your power. God, I daily, I cannot get by a single hour, a single day without you. I need you. I need you. I need you. I'm going to keep it real, God. Come up here and stand. Maybe you're someone here. Does want to clap? Yeah. Maybe you're someone up here. You made a bad decision years ago. You made a bad decision. I mean, an awful decision. It wrecked your family. It wrecked your children. It was long ago. You've not let it go. You're still hanging on to the guilt and the shame. You can't even look at God. You can't even look at God. You just want to come up here and just kind of stand somewhere, be still. God, I made a decision. God, I need Your grace. Maybe you stepped outside of the marriage. Maybe you were single. You were not yet even committed to someone. And you gave your life to that person, your body to that person and that person. And you never, ever been forgiven. God, there is no forgiveness that is so... God will forgive you. You just go up here and stand. God, we thank you for the heroes, for the brave people, of God, who stand truth in your life maybe you're someone that just because of your political ideology or your way of thinking keep happening you people coming forward you think sometimes you look down on people you don't mean to but sometimes you think you're better than everybody else and you just kind of you say that little sarcastic thing you posted on Facebook and today you realize that God I need your help be set free from that little self-righteousness system me God I invite you to come you know maybe you're someone uh, you've been in jail. Maybe you stole something. Maybe you lied. Maybe you padded your bank account. Maybe you padded your hours at work. Maybe you took something from the government that wasn't really yours. You applied something for during COVID that you had no right to have it and you took it anyway and you know it. Maybe your been, career's been awful. You have, you're so selfish. God has been so good to you. You're selfish nobody knows but you because you just hold on to everything you keep everything for yourself you give nothing away you just kind of hold on to it, whatever it is just up here and stand and I just invite you in your spirit just in your spirit say God I need you here I stand I can't even look at you God Mercy, your forgiveness, God, here we are. Here we are, God. Not the church of the perfect, the church of the imperfect. Here we are, the misfit, the moral failures, the screw-ups, the mess-ups, God. We are the resentful. We are the worried. We are the anxious. We are the people who get inside our heads and mess ourselves up and everybody around us. We are the ones who have hurt our kids. We are the ones who have pushed people away. We are the one, God, who have not stood up and been, been righteous for other people who have been downtrodden for the poor, God. We are them, God, but we come to you because we trust you, and your cross is safe, and you'll love us anyway. Thank you, God, for your mercy and your forgiveness. Church, let us just, wherever you are, let this be our song. Let this be our song and our prayer. I need you. kind of need to touch, you need to speak to someone, we'll hang out over at the side. Thank you for coming. Nothing is impossible with God.
1: Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.